The following is a conversation with Dr. Jessica Allen. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering at the University of Florida. Her area of research pertains to the nature of human movement, how to measure it experimentally, and how that data can be used to help people with neuromuscular ailments. Our conversation covers these topics, as well as her journey from UF undergrad, to grad school, to academia, and then ultimately back to UF. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Dickrell, and now, a conversation with Jessica Allen. So you're, you're in the, the new building, right? Yeah, I'm in the new Wertheim building, so. How, how is that? It's great. Um, nice and new. You have, do you have lab space? My students share some like office and, and builder space with Scott Banks and Carrie Costello students. And then we're actually building up a, a gate lab over in MAEB. So what's going to go on in that lab? So it's a gate lab, which means that we um, bring people in and, and study how they uh Walk uh, gate means uh, any version of walking that could also be running, hopping, whatever. You, oh, so G A I T. Yes, not G A T. Okay. Yes, G A I T. Uh, gate lab, and so um, we uh, can uh, put a lot of sensors on people and measure how they how they move, how their muscles move, um, make them do a, a whole number of things. The goal is to kind of replicate. Uh, the diversity of uh, different behaviors that you're doing out in the real world to get a bit of a better understanding of how your nervous system controls your muscles uh, to move, um, not fall over, things like that, what goes wrong when you've aged, had a stroke, uh, things like that, uh, so that we can hopefully uh, gain some insight into what's going on and provide uh, guidance for clinicians, guidance for people that are developing exoskeletons or other devices or things like that so that um, they can work a little bit better than they currently do, which most are only about 50% effective. So if a person comes into the gate lab, what do you do to them? Well, it depends on the study. Or with them. With them, yeah. Let's say we collaborate together, so it's with them. Uh, So um, we're particularly interested in how people control their muscles to move because the muscles uh, represent the intersection between kind of your brain, so your nervous system, and uh, your mechanical system, right? So they provide insight into what your nervous system is trying to do and the things that pull on your bones to make you move. So there's a lot of things we can gain from that. What that means is that we have to put a lot of sensors on your muscles. So um, every command that goes through your body generates an electrical signal, whether that's in your brain or in your muscles. And so we can leverage that by recording basically the electrical activity that your muscle generates when you move, where higher electrical activity means you've using your muscle muscle more. And so uh, we can slap sensors on different uh, muscles. Um, we focus primarily on kind of uh, trunk and, and, and below because we're interested in how you use your, you know, you control balance and use your legs t- to move. So we'll put a bit anywhere between, you know, 12 to 30 different sensors to measure that number of, of muscles while you move. Um, we can also measure your, how you're actually moving. So the muscle activity that's called electromyography. So electro for electrical signals and, and myography for muscles. Right? So people might be more familiar with ECGs or EKGs, which is electrocardiography. So again, electrocardio uh, for, for heart. So same technology, it's just we're recording for muscles. 
That tells us what your muscles do, but not how you're moving. So we can also measure how people are moving with a number of different technologies. Um, the one that people might be most familiar with is uh, motion capture. So for that, we have um, cameras around the, uh, the room. They're not um, video cameras. Uh, they're typically infrared cameras, and we put reflective um, markers on different places on, on a person's body that get picked up by those cameras. Um, why people might be most, more familiar with that particular um, technology is because it's often used in um, video game development if you want your characters to look like a real like human. motion capture or something. Yeah, it's yeah. the same type of motion capture. Interesting story, actually. Um, motion capture got its start in horse racing way back in the day uh, in the kind of the Stanford area because there's money in, in knowing what a horse is going to do, right. right? Technology for motion capture went really slow for a long time. It was very much here, take some photos, hand it to Chai's, et cetera. Well, entertainment interest industry got a hand on it, realized how you know powerful it could be. They have money. So because of that, technology has advanced amazingly, and we get to, we get to leverage those, those technological advances. So basically, you're turning a person that's walking into an infrared point cloud. Basically, yeah. uh, but then we're not just a bunch of points. We're connected by by bones, which we can assume are mostly rigid, right? For the types of movements that we do, we're we're rigid. So we un we know that there's mechanical linkages connecting all of those those point clouds okay. and so we can use those mechanical linkages to um, constrain the solution space that connects our dots to dots so that you actually look like a, a human moving like so, a walking skeleton yes okay. yeah 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 so that's one of the uh the technologies um another technology which is getting a lot more feasible these days um and that i mean everyone's carrying it around on their phone are accelerometers and in, in imus and so we can um slap those sensors on uh, you mean like the the sensors in an iphone that yeah tell the sensors you, in the iphone that you. tell you um you know the simplest thing is they tell you when you turn your phone um upwards that uh, i should turn the light on um but the ones that also uh, in your iPhone that's uh, or your Fitbit or anything else that tell you the number of, of steps that you're taking. So all based on um, accelerometers, IMUs. Um, IMU is inertial measurement. Yes, an IMU is an inertial measurement unit. And so they're going to have a combination of accelerometers, uh, gyroscopes, and usually magnometers as well to correct for Earth's magnetic field. And so, so you're using also that data as well. Yeah. So that allows us to go outside of the lab, right? So the motion capture technology requires cameras. Um, so that would be constrained within, within the lab. Um, but if we want to go outside in the lab or outside of the lab, uh, our, our EMG or electromyography sensors are wireless. So that's fine. Um, but if we want to measure motion, then we need something that's wireless. And so we can use IMUs. Are IMUs they, are they accurate enough? Yeah, they're not going to do enough. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I mean, I'm I'm sure your setup in the lab is, you know, tailor-made to extract maximum data fidelity. But I was just curious, you know. Yeah, I think um, probably, again, to other technologies getting their hands on on these things, um, such as phones, Fitbits, whatever. Um, the technology behind IMUs has, has advanced. And it's, I'm not sure that it's necessarily that the technology has advanced per se, but that the cost for high quality tech has has reduced so that you can afford to have very you know reasonably cost sensors that give you high quality, high quality so you can tech. do you can do sort of experiments in and outside the lab as yes. well yes mm -hmm. yeah that's cool yeah and so those are going to give us so i'm used we're going to you know place on 
your body, say your shin, your thigh, foot, trunk, arms. So any you know rigid rigid body, and that's going to give us the six degrees of freedom of, of that rigid body. But again, they're all connected based on mechanical yeah. linkages, so we can constrain the the solution there. So let's go back in time. How did you get into gate research? Yeah, so I actually started out as an aerospace engineering student um, here at Florida in MAE, actually. Um, and I wanted to build spaceships. I took fluid dynamics, and I hated it. I did fine, but um, I realized air is a fluid, and I would probably have to take uh, more fluid dynamics. And so... I don't want to do this. So I switched to mechanical, not knowing what I wanted to do, but just know that that would have broadened kind of the opportunities that I, I would have. Uh, through um, the different uh, extracurricular activities I was involved in at the, at the time, um, I had uh, a couple of um, colleagues that were, you know, master's or PhD students um, in different fields. I mean, like one of them was in civil engineering. Um, but they could see I was kind of freaking out because I, I went from, you know, a 19-year-old thinking they knew what they wanted to do to not knowing at all. Uh, and so they were the in, the one that actually were like introduced me to this uh, field called uh, biomechanics, um, which is essentially what the name sounds like. It is applying mechanical principles to a bi biological system. Um, that biological system can be any biological system from the level of, of, of DNA all the way up to whole body human level. And so I'm in, I, my field is whole body human, human level, um, how people move. Um, but I primarily got interested in, in that because of uh, the sports, sports applications. And so I grew up playing sports and, and thankfully not getting too injured myself, but seeing a lot of my friends uh, getting injured and kind of wondering what, what was going on on there. Uh, so when my friend mentioned, hey, there's this thing called biomechanics. You should look into it because it seems like it's overlapped with your interest. Um, they also provided uh, guidance to uh, go look at the websites of everyone um, doing research in the department, which in 2003 or four was very hard to do because there weren't a whole lot <laughs> of websites. Um, but uh, I ended up getting involved in um, uh, undergrad research at, at, at the time, kind of spurred from spurred from spurred from there. Um, so you went, so that was undergrad, that was undergrad, then you went to grad school. Yeah, then I went to grad school. In the meantime, I went, I did an internship at um, an orthopedic implant company, Zimmer, um, between my, I guess, junior and senior years, which was really cool, um, but I think wasn't really what I wanted to do, so I decided I'd go to grad school. Um, so I went to... Um, UT Austin, so University of Texas in, in Austin. Um, again, still mechanical, but applying mechanical principles to studying studying human movement. Um, it was a lot of simulation and dynamics. Uh, so I used to always get the question, how is studying uh, rehabilitation of walking and stroke survivors, which is what my PhD was, how is that mechanical engineering? And my answer was, well, if I told you I studied robots, would you believe that I did mechanical engineering? Sure. Okay. Well, we are really fancy and complicated robots. All of the uh, um, bio squishy robots. Yeah, we're bio squishy robots. All of the techniques that we can use to analyze and, and control robots, you know, dynamics, optimization, control are, are applicable to humans. Um, but we're more complex in a many, many different ways. Um, 
I love when I hear explanations of technically complicated things in yeah. very simple terms. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, if you can understand robots, yeah, we, we are related. Yeah, you know, we are in, related. In thankfully. terms of like the mechanics, right? Yeah, thankfully we are slightly more complicated in, in many more ways. Um, one of which is that our controller is our brain and that is still, you know, there's a lot of effort going into trying to understand the brain in, in many different ways. Um, yeah, that's like the ultimate black box. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's a controller, but... <laughs> we don't know what's going yeah. on. It's a bunch of electrical signals somehow. But thankfully it works. Usually. Yeah, it thankfully works. But when right. it doesn't work, yeah. I mean, that's... So I, I would say, you know, I was, I was trying to understand what your lab does, but mm -hmm. the extension of the work that you do, like where does that sort of serve or where does that go? Yeah, so... Um, and I think a great place is to start is that we, you know, when things go wrong, we don't know what's 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 going going wrong, and and that can vary from population to population. So if you had a, had a stroke, what went wrong is something very different than if you let's let's stay with the brain. If you had I mean, if you had Parkinson's disease, um, but even within a population, so say stroke survivors, what goes wrong can vary from individual. To individual and so a lot of the uh, tried and true uh, rehab interventions whether that is actually hey come into the lab and, and, and get in or clinic rather and get uh, rehab whether that's simply just strength based or let's just walk a lot um, or it's here let me pr uh, prescribe this device to you um, like a ankle foot orthosis to keep your you know ankle from flopping or flopping around, um, and they're tried and true because they have fifty percent. They're generally fifty percent plus effective, but that means there's a lot of people that aren't aren't benefiting right. from that from that as well. And so, you know, essentially our goal is to be able to provide guidance for that type of clinical decision making to make it more individualized. But before we can do that, we need a better understanding of what's actually going wrong? What are the important things that we need to measure from you to know how to uh, improve what's wrong with you? Okay, yeah. cool. I did a, I did a deep dive in mm. your, your Google Scholar. Alrighty. So, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, I, I'm going to talk to Jessica. Like, yeah. what did Jessica do? And I, I pulled, I pulled two things. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's stuff that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. um, so title of the paper is Slowing Down to Preserve Balance in the Presence of Optical Flow Perturbations. Mm -hmm. Uh, a recent work, um, I guess when I read the abstract, the things that stood out, out to me were sort of using virtual reality to study basically was it optical optical defects and like how it affected the the ability of people to walk around or look them at like yeah kind of so that's a really cool uh it's a paper that comes out of collaboration with one of my colleagues at uh, University of North Carolina so we currently have a a couple of projects together because um, we have some common uh, interests. Um, this particular interest is in, in controlling um, balance while while walking. And um, I'm going to give you the long answer to why we're doing these optical flow okay. <laughs> perturbations. Um, uh, uh, when I push you over, um, if you don't want to fall to the ground, you have to sense that that I've pushed you over. And there's um, we do a lot of pushing over in the lab, actually. Um, uh, you have to sense that that you're falling, and we can classify the types of senses that you're using in kind of three different buckets. One of them is you've obviously, if your eyes are open, you can see the world moving around you, and that's going to give you some some clue that you're 
possibly falling over. Uh, you also have your vestibular sense, senses, so those, you know, your inner ear um, is going to give you some information that you're being put off balance as well. And then um, your sense of body and space, which is called proprioception. And that's kind of an accumulation of a bunch of sensors that you have, uh, neuro, neural sensors that you have uh, in various parts in your body. These optical flow perturbations um, are trying to intervene at the level of your visual visual feedback. And so it's these really it's this really cool um, virtual reality type of experiment. So you're walking on a, on a treadmill, and uh, you're it looks like you're walking in you know a hallway. Um, I mean, a virtual reality hallway. So there's, it's clearly not quite a real hallway, but it looks pretty real. Um, when you know when it's not moving. It, it, it looks like you're walking through that through that hallway. And um, what my colleagues have, have designed is a way to have this hallway move uh, side to side, uh, but in such a way that it moves more side, more, it sways more side to side uh, closer to you in the, in the video than farther away. So, Far away, it looks like you're going straight, so it's not making you feel like you're turning left or right. It just ends up making you feel like you're like literally falling to mm. left or, or right, even though even though you're even though you're you, not. You can trick the yeah, you're trick tricking your senses. Yeah. yeah. Typically, when this has been done in the past, you're walking on a treadmill that has a fixed speed, right? Um, and so uh, we they implemented um, a controller over of that speed that allows you just by changing kind of how much, how you, where you are on the treadmill, how you're pushing down on it, how fast you're walking. Kind of like when you're out in the real world. If you want to walk faster, you push farther on the, on the ground. And, and the so, treadmill will respond. Yeah, too. the treadmill will respond. That's so cool. if, if you want to go faster, you, you know, you move or you push, push more, which allows you to see how much, like, what's your strategy for trying to maintain balance while walking when you're underneath or in the presence of these very weird off-putting um, visual perturbations and um, we found essentially that people slow down mm -hmm. to accommodate accommodate that um, unconsciously they unconsciously just, yeah, yeah. They, they, mm -hmm. they understand Say, hey the... I'm a little bit off balance so I think if I'm slower then that means if I fall over I have quicker to to respond right yeah let's go forward What's exciting to you that's coming up on the horizon? Yeah, so, well, exciting to me is that our lab should be up and running in, in, <laughs> by then. Uh, so we'll be, um, you know, collecting a lot of data. And a lot of what we're um, looking at these days is um, how people uh, coordinate their muscles uh, to maintain balance while they're, they're moving, moving around. We'll, we bring people into the lab and, and we push them over. Not to make them fall. You can think of it more like system identification. Like we just want to know how well do you maintain balance. Um, push them over in different directions because um, the way that you're going to want to recruit your muscles is going to differ depending upon if, I, if you're falling to the left, right, forward, forward, backwards. And so some of, some of the cool stuff we found uh, over the last couple of years has pointed to this idea that using this paradigm where we kind of push you over in different ways while you're standing allows us to capture kind of like your innate um, capabilities to coordinate your muscles to control balance, that um, embedding that type of balance control uh, into coordination for movement, be that walking, turning, et cetera, 
uh, is associated with better movement performance, walking speed, walking balance, uh, less risk of falls, uh, things like that. Yeah. There's been a bit of, I would say, turnover in the the biomechanics mm. uh, roster in this department, you know, just with natural attrition and, and people moving. So, you know, in many ways, you're new, but you're also, in a lot of ways, becoming like one of the people mm-hmm. that does, you know, uh, biomechanics. Are you happy? Yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, I um, left the state of Florida 15 years ago, never thinking I'd, I'd, I'd come back. Um, but, you know, over the last 15 years or so, how my you know journey has progressed and the things that I've become interested in, uh, the questions I've become interested in and, and um, having the resources is around to support the ability to answer those questions has um, led me here. Um, and so I'm excited. I'm, no, I'm super excited to, to be here. I'm also excited to be back in a mechanical um, engineering department. I spent the last 10 years as a postdoc and, and then assistant, uh, my first few years as assistant professor in, in the biomedical engineering department. Um, so what I haven't, I think, talked or touched upon um, yet today is we also do a lot of um, uh, simulation work, uh, which is rigid body dynamics simulations. And so a very uh, nice to have uh, students that are mechanically engineering oriented that are interested in, in, in dynamics, which can sometimes be hard to, to, to find elsewhere. Um, so no, it's exciting to, to, to be back here. I mean, things have changed, I think, <laughs> over, over the years. Have you given any thought to you know, what classes you'd like to teach? I am, um, my my love for this field got started and continued within the fields of dynamics, and so that is that is my favorite. So I'm, I'm teaching um, biodynamics now, which um, when B.J. Fregley was here, he used to teach, and I took that actually as an, as an, as an undergrad, so it's, you know, kind of really fun to, yeah. to teach it again and put my own spin on it. Uh, so I've been having fun, fun with that. Do you, are you do you ever consider doing like just the the lower level dynamics like non biodynamics? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would be fine. I would. It would. You know, I think I have to brush up on a on a, a few a few things such as like you know orbital <laughs> orbital stuff. You know, humans are rigid links of rigid bodies, so that sometimes makes things easier. Sometimes makes it more complicated. Um, the part of your brain that that kind of remembers that stuff, um, but is important to know for 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 your research because again. Humans are really complicated robots, and so all of this, these dynamics apply to us as well. I think the thing that I've discovered also is, like, as I get older, you know, we as people continue to develop our brains, mm. and then all of a sudden you go back and revisit something that, in theory, you learned, and it just makes like so much more sense. Mm-hmm. So, so in that way, I think you're probably just a, a more mature. And capable brain. Yeah, probably. Probably do anything. Yeah, right? no, it's funny you say that too because I, you know, I mentioned before that I, I, I switched out of aerospace because I took fluid dynamics and and, and I hated it. Um, when I I was in a I was teaching a biomedical engineering department before before this up in West Virginia and um, it's a smaller department so we kind of just like teach what they need and I ha- I have full confidence in my ability to teach anything technical. Uh, so I got, uh, I ended up teaching um, a biotransport class, which was essentially fluid mass and heat transfer. 
Oh, so you're back so in I it. So I was back in it, but I will tell you that um, it was, and maybe it is it's in part because of what you're saying, like you kind of appreciate things more as you, as you get older, but it's also something to be said about learning about fluid dynamics when it has to do with blood vessels and pipes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And also you were, you know, you were what, 19 at the time. Or right. Took it. And yeah. Then, you know, the, your, your ability to, I guess, appreciate the nuance and beauty yeah. of, of that stuff is just yeah. increased. So yeah. 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 I, you know, you're going to do great no matter what you do, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah. And so, no, I mean, I think it, I think it's good. I think it's good for like you and other people who are relatively young to be able to teach like the lower level undergraduate courses, mm-hmm. because you know, as a person that does primarily that, mm-hmm. I see the opportunity to kind of inspire yeah. and, and touch people. And so, you know, while I wouldn't mind teaching a graduate level class to go like really deep on a mm-hmm. very like esoteric concept. I think mm-hmm. the ability to broadly influence a lot of like future engineers, I, you know, I would, I would pitch that to kind of any of my colleagues yeah, is no, like maybe absolutely. consider going down in the trenches yeah, for a little while. No, yeah. absolutely. And I, I, I agree with that. And also, you know, I think um, as a female engineer in undergrad, I think I had zero or half a class with another female professor and it wasn't till senior level that that happened and so uh there's also something to be said for regardless of who you are seeing someone like you teaching and successful and the earlier you see that the more likely you're going to to see that and how do you do that teaching classes yeah that's great. earlier that's a great point yeah that, that too right yeah. so you know like your ability to inspire not only from like who you are, but also like your, like you did it, right? You right, start, you yeah. started, you know, yeah. where they were sitting and mm-hmm. now you're, you yeah. know, you've gone through this yeah. very interesting career progression, which yeah. has led you back yeah. to, to stand in yeah. front of them and talk about the yeah. same subjects. Yeah. So right on. Yeah. All right. So on a personal note, what, what do you like to do when you're not working? You know, and I, I know that's sort of like a trap <laughs> question because as an assistant professor, yeah. you know, this is, this yeah. is like a very important time in your career, but. Well, I would, my answer would have been, I, I like to go out hiking, um, but I no longer live somewhere that's <laughs> hills or any uh, change in elevation. So I suppose I like to go out and, and walk, um, but I still haven't quite uh, accommodated, my, accommodated myself to the humidity <laughs> here. Um, so I'm still like searching for what's that. I like to go out. I like to be outdoors, okay. um, but I, I'm still searching for what is that, uh, what is what is the hobby that's going to be the Florida hobby? Yeah, I um, guess you've only been here. I've only been here since August. Um, okay, so it's like you know, six, seven months. Yeah, right. yeah. Summer is coming. Summer yes. is coming again. Yeah. 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 Um, so looking for the for the new things to, to get out to get outside. Um, maybe I'll, I mean I've got scuba certified when I was in, in grad school, but then I never did much with it. So maybe I'll recertify. I know that it'd be part of a little bit more interesting here in Florida. A lot of things to see close by. So your laboratory, your laboratory is relatively new. Mm-hmm. How many people are in it right now? So I've got three PhD students um, and a couple of under a couple of undergrads that have recently recently started. Um, so two of my PhD students are mechanical engineering students, and, and one is a biomedical engineering student. Um, two of them uh, came down with me from from West Virginia. That was going to uh, be my question. Yeah. Is like 
did you did you bring any with yeah, you? Yeah, I when I when I moved, I at the time I had four students, um, two that were really close to graduating, and then the two that were had re- basically just started that that year, and so the two that uh, started that year um, were, were willing to come come down here with me, and then uh, so one of them, so they were both they went B- BME at the time, and so one of them is very much a BME student, so he stayed in BME here, and the other one does have a mechanical background, so so he's he's a mechanical student. Uh, and then the other two uh, gra- uh, stayed up in West Virginia, and they graduated in, in December. Are you, are you actively hiring undergrads right now? I'm actively hiring undergrads right now. Because yes. I get a lot, I get yeah. a lot of questions yeah. in my classes about how do I get into undergraduate research, and I'm like, well, you just you just start talking. to yeah, people. Yeah, you just start talking to people. Yeah, no, we're absolutely un- uh, 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 recruiting actively undergrads in, in research, especially um, how, because our lab will open soon, um, and. We need lots of hands for for experiments. Well, watch out! I might yeah. I might send you a small army <laughs> of potential funny. people because you know I I don't yeah. honestly know. Uh, you know, it's not like we have a a help wanted section in the department, right? right. So as yeah. I talk to people yeah. and I hear, oh yeah, you know, yeah, Jessica Allen's like yeah. she's bringing people on. I'll yeah. just send people your way. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my general strategy for for the experimental stuff is, hey, just you know, volunteer. If you show up consistently, then maybe we'll talk about. Um, actual yeah. research and projects yeah. um, but show that show you the reliable and then, yeah. and then we can kind of yeah. talk yeah. turkey later exactly uh, let's talk philosophy a little bit mm. um, I always like to ask this question to people that I talk to now that you're you're a ways out from being an undergrad mm-hmm. what's what's the piece of wisdom or guidance you can give yourself that wouldn't necessarily change the trajectory of your future but it's something that you could that little piece of information you could tell yourself back then. I mean, like, hey, this is what I learned along the way. You should probably know this. Yeah. Um, this is something that uh, a, a colleague, another grad student, told me when I was in, in grad school at a conference. We, you know, they were just walking around chatting. Uh, I think I was stressing out about, about life. And she said, uh, you know, you can always change your, your path. You're... Your, um, you're not set in stone in, in what choices you, you make today. And I think that's particularly relevant for for undergrads, especially as they're especially those that might be nearing graduation within the next three months, year, whatever, and stressing about out about what's what's next is your choices now sure will change your trajectory, but it's you can always change what you're what you're what you're doing. And actually in this day and age we're not in the, you know, maybe our parents or grandparents' generations would have their first job and stay there forever. That is not what happens happens now. Um, I don't remember what the average number of jobs that people have, but it's it's definitely way more than more than one. I'll make up a statistic. I, I feel like it. it's like four or five or six. Yeah, I was gonna right? say like four, you know, four in the first ten years or something yeah, like that. Right. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of churn. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. then. So don't get stressed about because it's not going to define who you are the rest of your life. And then, also on the flip side of that, be a continual continual learner, because that will help you um, make those transitions. Do Do you think old you would listen to that? Well, probably. I mean, I think it would probably have just made myself less stressed about about okay. about life. I definitely, uh, I, I can maybe think back to different periods in my life and, and see that, hey, if I made a different choice at this particular point in time, that maybe my trajectory would have been, been different. But I love where I am. I might love where I would have ended up either, but why play the what if game? 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please stay tuned for more insightful and interesting conversations with people in engineering, industry, and science.